Man, you talk about fun. I've had fun in God's house today. Man, there's just something about them old songs, right? They get your toe tapping and your soul stirring. God gets moving. You may say or do something that you wouldn't normally do. Amen? That's okay. You're in church. God is good all the time. We're in the Old Testament this morning. We're taking a break from our series that we had been doing called Lies About God. I hope you've been enjoying that series, by the way, and been challenged by it. We're going to return to the study that we began back in the summer on the Old Testament life of David. David, the shepherd king, and thus far we have made it into 1 Samuel 25. The title of today's message is Dear Abby. In 1956, a lady named Pauline Phillips started writing an advice column for newspapers under the pen name Dear Abby. For decades, Dear Abby was the most widely syndicated newspaper column in the world, reaching 110 million readers. Those of you who are old enough to remember newspaper, you probably remember Dear Abby. Those of you who are too young to remember a newspaper, there used to be a time when a paper was delivered to the house every day and it told you what happened the day before in the world. But Dear Abby, even though newspapers are dying out, the column is still going strong online. Recently, a man wrote in asking for advice with his, get this, road rage. You ever have a fit of road rage? (laughs) We mentioned I-26 a little bit earlier. You're going to find out how close to Jesus you are (laughs) when you try and head anywhere in Asheville Friday evening. Amen? Here's what the man said. Dear Abby, I'm becoming more and more irritated with people. My fuse is short, and I'm prone to bursts of anger. Now, you don't be nudging the person beside you. You know who you are. Today, I watched another driver run a red light, and I proceeded to honk my horn, lower the window, and I gave the guy my middle finger. I am sick of people. They are, in my opinion, self-centered, inconsiderate jerks who need to be smacked. Stupid questions also set me off. I've been snapping at my wife and kids all week. What can I do to get a grip on my temper? Is there something wrong with me? Signed, really nice guy in Michigan. (laughs) That's debatable, right? Here's Dear Abby's response. Dear Mr. Nice Guy, everyone experiences anger from time to time, but lowering one's car window, playing the horn like a musical instrument, and giving the one-finger salute is not only unwise, but dangerous. These days, it could get you killed. It's been said that anger is a temporary form of insanity. Amen. When you're angry, you're more likely to say and do things that you will regret later. I always thought you could tell more about a person by their reactions than their actions. Have you considered anger management, yoga, or perhaps MMA to let out your aggression? Remember... You can't spell the word danger without anger. Well, that's Dear Abby. It seems that that story is not just the exception, but is more so the general tone of people's attitudes today. 
In fact, there's a research done in 2021. Forbes cited a global survey in which thousands of people were asked to register their levels of anger, stress, and worry. And the conclusion was, since 2020, the world has become a sadder, angrier, and more worried and stressed out than at any time in the past 15 years. I would say that's probably true. I hope you heard that. (laughs) Which is why the gospel and the hope of Christ, it shines that much brighter in a world of anger and frustration. A world where there's no peace and no hope. We have a word from God. Amen? And that's why 1 Samuel 25 is an episode from the life of David that we will relate to instantly Because here in this passage, we see the king-in-waiting get hot under the collar. This chapter is interesting because it stands in stark contrast to the previous scene where David so graciously dealt with Saul in the cave. You remember that in chapter 24 where David had the moment to put the knife in the back of his mortal enemy, and yet he restrained himself, instead cut off a piece of Saul's robe, and showed him later that David meant no ill will towards Saul. I believe that was David's real great conquest. We remember him for beating Goliath, killing the giant, but David conquered his own demon or his own giant there of anger and revenge. But in this story, 1 Samuel 25, we see the opposite. David had a chance in the previous chapter to get revenge, and he doesn't. But here, David struggles. But how many of you know that yesterday's victories do not ensure or guarantee that we will win today's battles? And so in today's message, David is going to be confronted by a character that if you can believe it, it was a bigger jerk than Saul. His name is Nabal. If there was an entry in the dictionary for scumbag, this guy's name would be right beside. Um, In fact, the only good thing that we could say Nabal had going for him was that he was married to a wonderful lady named Abigail. And in this story, what you'll see is a classic case of beauty and the beast. Were it not, though, for dear Abby and her intercession and her advice and her counsel to David, then he would have succumbed to the rage monster and he would have committed a serious blunder. Now, this story that we're about to get into, 1 Samuel 25, has some useful application not only for our issues with anger, but really... More importantly, it points us to the gospel and to Christ in some surprising ways. We'll just follow the skeleton outline here this morning. Number one, I want you to see as we read the first 11 verses, a foolish wretch. A foolish wretch. Let's meet the bad guy, Nabal. Verse 2, And there was a man in Moen whose business was in Carmel, And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. 
and the name of his wife Abigail. And the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David hearing in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be unto you, and unto your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. And now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. They missed nothing from the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day, and please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son David. And when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And when they waited, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men? Who come from I do not know where. Paul's right there. That's the foolish wretch. If you go to the old Puritan Bible commentator Matthew Henry, he describes Nabal as quote unquote a muck worm. <laughs> Scholars tell us that the name Nabal means fool. Which according to the Bible is not somebody who lacks intelligence, not somebody who's stupid, but a fool is somebody who lives with no fear of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, the psalmist says. Who is this man Nabal? Well, we read that he's a serious combination of bad. He has the riches of a Texas oil baron and the people skills of Tony Soprano. And this is a guy that lived by the creed, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, and poison the rest. Nabal is not a nice fella. Now, let's get some background here into what's going on. In ancient Israel, there was no such thing as the state highway patrol or the border police. David has 600 mighty men under his leadership now. And they are kind of playing the role of Robin Hood for Israel's people. Uh, Israel is a dangerous land at this time. There, like I said, is no police force. But David and his mighty men are kind of acting in that way, offering protection for the farmers, for the shepherds. Uh, he is keeping them safe from the brigands and the Bedouins who are known for plundering and pillaging and doing all kinds of nasty things. Well, we read that trouble began brewing when David sends ten young men to Nabal to collect payment or to collect uh, tax, if you will, for his services. David's men have been keeping the peace. And the reason why Nabal is able to have such a great harvest of sheep and shear his sheep is because David has been protecting him. And in response, Nabal insults our man David, pretending not to know him. Shall I give my food and my meat to people from where I do not know, he says. Such ingratitude. The only reason that Nabal can enjoy a massive wealth is because of David's sword. And so here is David, disrespected, insulted by the local fat cat, and he is left holding the raw end of a bad deal. You ever been there before? 
You ever run into a Nabal-type character? Maybe they knowingly sold you a lemon off the car lot. Perhaps they insulted you in a way that cut very deep. Maybe there was a bargain that you'd made and they refused to keep up their end of the bargain and you're left holding the proverbial bag. Or maybe they just took advantage of your kindness. Remember a few years ago, I took my car in to a shop to have the oil change and the tires rotated. And when it came time to pay the mechanic, he said, Sir, we were able to change your oil, but we were not able to rotate your tires because we didn't have the right bit to fit your lug nuts. And I thought, well, that's very unusual. This is an auto mechanic shop, right? How do you not have the right bit? But I didn't really think any more about it. I just was busy. I paid, and I left that way and, and, and went about my day. Well, later that day, I got to thinking. I said, you know, that statement stuck with me. And I went and I looked at my lug nuts, and I figured out what had really happened. The so-called mechanic must have used the wrong bit, and he ground my lug nuts down to nothing. I was fighting mad because I realized I had been lied to, and I paid them, and they told a cover story to cover their back end, and I was mad enough to eat bees, Brother Preston. I was lit. And I was determined I was going to go back down to that auto mechanic shop and give them what for. And you know what? The Holy Spirit stopped me and said, wait a second, you're a preacher. <laughs> wait a second, what about your Christian witness? Wait a second, is it really a hill worth dying on? Holy Spirit ever do that to you? Amen, he takes you to the wood shop and whip you up one upside, one down, and the other. And I had to eat it. And I had to let it go. And thank God for the Holy Spirit speaking to me because I could have done something or said something that could have ruined a possible witnessing opportunity or a reputation in the church. But I tell you that story to say this. The question is not if you will be mistreated. The question is when you will be mistreated by a Nabal-type character. And the question is, how will you respond? Proverbs 16 and verse 32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city, a foolish wretch. Well, the story progresses. Let's move on and talk about number two, a furious warrior. A furious warrior. Verse 12 is where we'll pick up our reading. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. Them's fighting words, right? And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Oh, my goodness. When word gets back to David of Nabal's insult and rudeness, David is ready to go scorched earth on Nabal. Bible says that David orders 400 of his mercenaries Suit up for battle, 
put your swords on, guys, because now it's personal. This is a vendetta. And boy, you talk about overkill. 400 soldiers to go get one old crotchety man? Are you serious? That's like using a shotgun to go after a cockroach. I mean, David is serious about shedding this man's blood. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, he wrote these words. He said, quote, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way is a challenge that most men can't handle. Amen? Again, I remind you of what happened a chapter ago. David is willing to forgive Saul and make amends with the guy who's been hunting him down like a bloodhound. Who tried multiple occasions to kill David and yet now David is ready to go tar and feather Nabal over a slight thing. Why such a mood swing, David? <laughs> Did you eat something last night? Not been sleeping good? David, what's really going on? Well, David's human. Amen? He's like you and me. And just like you and I, these little aggravations can pile up in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. These little foxes that spoil the vines, Song of Solomon says. These little things that pile up in your life and pretty much they accumulate until you're a volcano, you're a Mount St. Helens ready to erupt on somebody. And they just cross a line and boom. Anger management. I, I, I deal with this. I know my wife and I deal with this all the time with our children. We love our children, right? But there are some days when I think if I have to break up one more fight... Doggone it, if I step on one more Lego block, I'm going to lose my mind. And these little things pile up, putting out fires at church, dealing with somebody that's mad, they didn't, I don't like the way you said that preacher, and they write you an email, they won't say it to your face, but they'll write it online. These little things that pile up, and pretty soon I get home, and I'm a volcano ready to erupt. Y'all pray for Caitlin. She has to live with me. <laughs> Speaking of your temper, you ever noticed this? This is so funny. But you ever been in a bitter argument at your house, you and your spouse? I mean, it's wall to wall, knockdown, drag out. You don't even remember why you're fighting anymore, but you've got to have the last word. Hey, you're in church, remember? Amen. And then the phone rings. And then all of a sudden, the first person to pick up the phone, hello, this is the McCarson residence. I hope you're, are you having a blessed day? And you can just flip the switch just like that. You ever do that before? When seconds ago, you were at each other's throats. Or you're on the way to church on Sunday morning. Right? And it's been chaos. And it's been fussing and fighting all the way across town to get to church. But the moment you step out and you get on church property, oh, I'm standing on holy ground. Let's put on the smile. Everything's good. Everything's perfect. But seconds ago, we were ready to kill each other. Amen? David, now David has every right to be upset with Nabal. 
This man is indebted to David and the world would have been a better place without Nabal in it. But if David goes through with this, if he acts rashly, he is in danger of going beyond justice and into the territory of vengeance. And God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As the saying goes, before you embark on a journey of revenge, you better dig two graves. And it's in these tense moments when we're in a situation like that where you have to ask yourself, is this really worth me losing my Christian witness? God, is there any way I can let this go so that you can get something good out of this? That's where David is. Wouldn't it be better, by the way, oftentimes to let it go and put it in God's hands? That's the hardest thing to do sometimes. Because we got to get the last word. We got to be the winner. We got to make sure that the other person gets what's coming to them. And you know what? That's so anti gospel. Well, we see a number two furious warrior and a foolish wretch, but then I want you to see number three, the story's about to get better a faithful wife. A faithful wife. Look what verse 18 says. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared with five sehahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. Verse 20, And as she rode on the donkey, she came down under the cover of the mountain and behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. We'll stop right there. Think about this. Over the hill comes David. There is fire dancing in his eyes. His blood is boiling. 400 men behind him, they are kicking up dust. He's muttering under his breath as he rides over the hill. I can't wait to get there. I'm going to teach that old so-and-so that he'll never forget the name David again. And then as David crests the hill, he looks down and the Bible says there is a beautiful woman riding toward him on a donkey. Uh, She has cornbread in one hand and reins in the other. It's dear Abby to the rescue. Now in my estimation, Abigail is one of the godliest women in the Old Testament. Here's a woman who was beautiful and graceful and tactful and most of all, spiritually mature. And apparently, the old gal knew her way around the kitchen. Amen? That's one way that I married way out of my league. Because everything my wife fixes is really good. (laughs) So I've got an Abigail... At home, literally, in a couple of different ways. But this lady Abigail, she knows how to set a table for a king. And it really makes you wonder as you read this story, how did a beauty like Abigail get stuck with a knuckle-dragger like Nabal? This is an odd combination. How does this happen? Here's how one writer described her. He said, quote, Abigail is a daisy in a desolate desert. 
a graceful swan that lands on top of a landfill, a whiff of perfume that floats into the men's locker room. She is equal parts brains and beauty. She teaches that gentleness can reverse a river of anger, that humility can diffuse a ticking bomb of vengeance. By standing in the place of a mediator between the criminal and victim, she shows that olive branches do more than battle axes ever will. And the thing that I love about Abigail is she's a woman of action. When word gets back to her that David is coming for her husband's head, even though Nabal was a lowlife, she doesn't go to consult him because she knows he's ungodly. But she takes initiative and she says, I'm going to stay the wrath of this righteous man by offering him a peace offering. She decides to squell this skirmish by catering a banquet, a buffet for David and his men And she steps into this role as a mediator. You see that? A go-between between somebody who's filled with righteous indignation and somebody who is offended and is a sinner and a good for nothing. Amen? And she delivers one of the most graceful and tactful speeches recorded in Scripture. Look at what verse 23 says. This is beautiful. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, Hold me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She's assuming the sin of her husband. On me alone, my Lord, let the guilt be. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, as his name is, So he is, and Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young man who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and the evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Wow. What a speech. Now, even though Nabal did not recognize David's legitimacy, Abigail appealed to David as a king. Amen? And she is actually becoming the living embodiment of what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So let's set the table here. Look at the picture that we have. I suggest to you, that tucked away here in this scene of 1 Samuel 25 is an Old Testament picture of the gospel. It's right here. You say, well, how so, preacher? Consider the parallels. Abigail rode a donkey on the way to offer atonement to her offended Lord. Just like Jesus who rode a donkey into Jerusalem to offer atonement on the cross. 
Abigail said, let me bear the sins of my husband. Just as Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Abigail provided a peace offering for the offenses of Nabal, just as Jesus was the peace offering for our offenses. Later, if you keep reading this text, Abigail actually offers to wash the feet of David's men. What's that a picture of? Jesus who stooped and took a basin and towel and wiped the feet of His disciples. Abigail, listen, she turns away the wrath of David just as Jesus turned away the wrath of His Father. He received, He was the mediator, He received the sin and the punishment and He made peace offering for you and I so that we could be forgiven, so that we would not receive the justice that we deserved. It's all right there. Notice what happens as you keep reading verse 32. And then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to me this day. Blessed are your discretion and blessed be you. You have kept me this day, listen, from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. There's some powerful gospel pictures right here. You see yourself in the story? We are both offenders and offended. Like Nabal, we can put ourselves in the story because we have offended a holy and righteous God. We should receive punishment for our sins. But there was a willing mediator who stood on our behalf and pled our case. And that mediator is Jesus Christ who makes peace offering and takes the punishment that we deserve. We are also like David. We, we have been offended. We've been hurt by the evil and by the sin and the mistreatment of others. And we also fight the temptation to get even or to seek revenge. But thank God today for something called restraining grace that keeps your hand back from doing something you'd regret. David is so floored by Abigail's intercession that if you keep reading, he says, Praise God that you were sent my way today for you have kept me from trying to work salvation with my own hand. In other words, David was saying, Look, I was going to fix this my own way, but you've persuaded me to take a different path. To trust God that God will work this out and that I don't have to fight my own battle. Amen? Listen to me, friend. If Abigail doesn't show up to stay David's hand, David is going to go on with the massacre. And in the process, David's going to get blood on his hands, which means he will essentially be just like Saul. And yet, God has a destiny. God has a purpose. God has a plan for David. David is a king who is tempted to act like a fool, and Nabal is a fool who wants to act like a king. But here's what I see. Sometimes the grace of God in your life, listen to me, is a disruption of your plans. Sometimes the grace of God in your life 
is when you have the ability to look back with some hindsight and say, thank you God, that situation didn't end up the way that I wanted it to. How many times have you been in a situation like this and maybe God diverted you or detoured you or stopped you along your way? Do you ever stop and think as you look back? What would my life have been like if I had stayed with that person? What would my life have been like had I took that job or made that move or stayed in my addiction? What if, what would my life be like if I had went through with the plan to bring about my own salvation? What sort of mess would you got yourself into? But thank God today for busted plans. Thank God today for divine detours, for interruptions, for little infusions of grace that God puts along your pathway. Because friend, if you would have had it your way and done it your, the way that you were thinking and as hell-bent as you were, if it wasn't for an Abigail, for some grace of God that came strolling into your situation, oh, you would have made a wreck of things. Amen? I thank God because I can look back at critical moments in my life and I'm thankful, God, that you didn't let that turn out the way that I thought that it should have. Why? Because God has a better view. God has a better plan. God has a better destiny in store than what you and I might have planned. And here's the thing that I love about it. David wasn't looking for grace that day. David was looking for blood. David was out for vengeance. David was angry and hell-bent on destruction. But when he wasn't looking for grace. He wasn't looking for mercy. Oh, but grace and mercy came looking for him. Friend, I'm thankful today that when I wasn't looking for God, when I had no room for God in my life, when I had no plan and no purpose to serve God, oh, grace came strolling into my life and He held out blessings and said, hey, you don't want to go that way. There's a better way. There's a salvation. There's blessing. There's peace. There's transformation and you can have it. Just make sure you take that last exit off the highway to hell and come meet me. Oh my gosh. When I saw that in this passage, I had to stand up in my little study and say, Thank you, God, that you interrupted my foolish, stupid little plans. In the Billy Graham Library, down in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the artifacts that they have on display under a glass case is a set of pistols. I love these. I saw them last time I went down to the Billy Graham Library. These pistols were turned in in 1957 during the New York City Crusade. And in his autobiography, Dr. Graham said that on the New York Crusade that year, it was scheduled to only last a few weeks, but revival broke out and it lasted 16 weeks. And one evening, Dr. Graham said that a couple of gang members strolled into the meeting. I mean, the revival was shaking up the Big Apple. And they strolled in just to see what all the news was about. And they got gloriously saved. And they came down to the altar and they turned in their guns. 
You see, they had murder in their heart. They were fixing to go out and meet some rival gang members and they were going to shoot it out. But God detoured them and God interrupted their plans and they came down and they turned in their weapons and turned their life over to Jesus Christ. As Brother Stan says, that will preach. Amen? God ever done that for you? God diverted your plans. God shook things up. You had your own way of doing things. But God. Some of you are on that pathway right now. You're trying to do it on your own. You're trying like David to accomplish only what God can do. You're trying to do it yourself. How's that working for you? You see, grace is standing down here calling you, oh sinner. You need to give your life up to Jesus Christ. And declare Him to be Lord and Savior. What happened in this story? Well, we see number four, a favored wedding. A faithful wife, a furious war, a foolish wretch, a favored wedding. Look at what verse 36 says and we're almost done. Verse 36, Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold... He was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. And in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. And he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged me the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and he has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. And the Lord was returned the evil of Nabal upon his own head. And then David sinned and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey. And her five young women attended to her. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Bless God! What a story! Right? It's amazing how God can type all the loose ends of this story. And in the final scene, God not only dispenses justice upon Nabal for his evil ways, but he gets Abigail out of that loveless, lifeless marriage, and David gains a wife. Only God could orchestrate a series of events like that, such that David and Abigail end up in a better situation than when they started out. That's the grace and the goodness of God. And what a lesson about waiting on God to orchestrate and to fulfill His perfect plan. Amen? Let me bring this all to a close. Maybe you're like David today. You're dealing with an uncouth savage like a Nabal who has hurt you. Listen. Trust God with the avenging part. Trust God with the justice part. You pray for that person's healing, that person's salvation, that they would come to know Jesus. Don't take the low road. Don't sully your reputation and your witness. 
Maybe you're like Abigail today. You live with an uncouth savage like Nabal. You can identify with this because you go home to a Nabal every day. Or maybe he's your boss. Or maybe he's a family member. Exhibit the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Because you're the only Jesus that they're ever going to see in many instances. And trust that God would change their heart. May I remind you ladies who are married to a Nabal, an unsaved man. Listen to what 1 Peter 3 verse 1 and 2 says. Wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. That was Abigail. And for you men, if you're like me and you're married to an Abigail, oh my gosh, what a treasure. Love her. Cherish her. Listen to her. I'm so thankful that I have a wife who's steeped in the wisdom of God's Word. She can give me godly counsel. Just like Abigail stood there on the roadside and told David, you better pump the brakes, dude. Thank God for godly women. Us men, we just need to take the cotton balls out of our ears and listen to the godly treasure that He's given us in a godly wife so that she'll save us from rash and unwise decisions. Hey, don't, don't spend your money. Don't, 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 don't buy that. You're, you're drifting away. Is there something wrong? How can I pray for you? This is the power of a praying woman, a power of an Abigail who can change the, even the course of a king and shape a whole nation by her gentle spirit. Or maybe today you're like Nabal. We've seen in this series how David is a picture of Christ. He's the anointed of God. And when David is under the anointing, he's a picture of Jesus. And like Jesus, David is a divisive figure in the kingdom, is he not? Some in Israel respected David and bowed their knee to him. Others rejected David, like Saul and like Nabal. Nabal rejected God's anointed one and he faced judgment. God struck him dead, just like that. There are some like Nabal, some of you out here, you're treating Jesus the same way that Nabal treated David. You've insulted him. You've disrespected him with your life. He offers you blessing after blessing after blessing, and yet you still resist him. Why? If you are in that situation today and you are like Nabal, you remain unmoved and ungrateful to the king of the universe who died for your sins. Only a fool would thumb their nose and clench their fists in the face of a thrice holy God. If that is you today, oh, there's a mediator that stands with grace in one hand and mercy in the other on the crossroads of life. 
and says, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to go the way of destruction and anger and self-destruction and addiction and darkness and depression. I'm standing here talking you back from the edge. Why won't you just bow and receive me as your king? For some of you, that's, that's where you are today. You need to heed the counsel of the Scriptures which tell us to repent. Change your ways and plead the mercy of this king. Abigail's effort to save her wicked husband reminds me of another woman who sought a pardon. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell was the protector of England. He sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes of dereliction. He was supposed to show up and do his duty and he didn't. Capital offense. He was convicted and the execution was to take place at the ringing of the five o'clock evening bell. However, on the day of the execution, the bell did not ring. For the one day in England at five o'clock to signal the beginning of the evening, the bell was silent. Here's what happened. The soldier's fiancée climbed up into the belfry and she clung to the great clapper which rang the bell and prevented it from striking When Oliver Cromwell found out what had happened, he summoned the woman into his court. She gave an account for her actions and she wept before the king as she showed him her bruises and her bloody face. The story goes that Oliver Cromwell's heart was moved and he said this, Your lover shall live because of your love. The executioner's bell shall not toll for the offended tonight. Amen? Amen. And I'm telling you today that the bell of God's judgment can be silenced for you today because somebody stepped in and stopped the wrath that was due to you and me. His name is Jesus. If you don't know Him today, will you come and receive Him as your Savior? If you need to rededicate your heart and life, maybe you are dealing with a Nabal and and you need prayer. The altar is open. For any reason, for anybody, whatever God's calling you to do in this moment, this is your opportunity to respond to the message. Preston is going to lead us in a hymn. If we can, will we stand to our feet? And if you need to come forward in this message, this is your time.